Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are, as well as all of those out in Prescott Valley today. So grateful to have you with us. Uh, Before we dive into our message, I do want to just take a moment here at the beginning uh, just to uh, make mention of a lot of the things that you've been talking about and hearing about on the news over the last few weeks of what's going on in Israel. So we want to take a moment and just pray together as a church uh, over that situation. We spent some time in our podcast last week uh, talking about that a little bit on Tuesday, uh, but wanted just to take a moment and pray uh, here in our service. So let's pray today. Father, we come and we lift up this situation. It is ugly and dire and evil on so many levels. And so God, we pray for your will to be done. God, we do pray for the peace of Israel, but we know from your word that that peace does not come without the Prince of Peace. And so more than anything else, we pray that there's a revival for both the Palestinians and the Israelis, that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, which would bring the only everlasting peace that we all long for. God, I pray for the hostages that are in Gaza today. I pray that you would bring them out safely, that there would be a a way to bring them home to their families. God, we pray that in the midst of all of this, pray as Jesus did, not my will, but yours be done. You have a plan and a purpose. You're not, you've not been shaken. You're still on your throne. So give us a heart to trust you. Your word says, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. And that's where we stand today. We trust in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, we are diving in to a third week of this series that we're calling Someone is Missing. And the someone for most of us is the Holy Spirit. We found a study from just a couple of years ago out of the Arizona Christian University that says 62% of of born-again, self-described born-again Christians do not believe in the Holy Spirit. 
So someone's missing. Like we're, we're trying to live a Christian life without the one that was given to us to help us live the Christian life. And so we're working our way through, spending several weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, so today, I want to start off by making a really obvious confession out loud. So this is an all skate. Everybody gets to play. Those of you at home, you say it in your living room. Those of you in PV, say it out loud. Like we all get to play along here. We got to speak some truth over our soul today. I think it's really important for us to remind ourselves of this really simple truth. So I'm going to put it on the screen and then we're going to say it together. You ready? You got to do better than that. Are, are you ready? All right, here we go. I am not God. Like, I hope that that wasn't too difficult for you. Like, if there was a question, like, I'm not sure I believe that, then we got bigger problems. But this is the, this is the saying, so let's do it again. Say, I am not God. So this is the first part. That's easy. Now, what, what comes next is going to be a little bit more difficult. Might make you flinch a little bit, but hang in there. It's still true. All right, you ready? Here we go. Second part. I could be wrong. Uh, see, that wasn't as enthusiastic. <laughs> so now we're going to put these two together because they go together. Because I'm not God, that's why I could be wrong. So we're going to put these two together. You ready? Let's say them all together. I am not God. I could be wrong. All right? That's, that's where we're starting today. Okay? Because indeed, deep down, we all know this to be true. We all know that we are not infallible, but there are times where I think many of us struggle to believe this in different areas of our life. There are times where we become so convinced that what we have learned or what we've been taught or what we've believed is right. We, we believe it so much that we remove the possibility that we might actually be wrong. So whenever someone comes to you with something that doesn't already agree with something you believe, then we reject it. And oftentimes we will reject not just their ideas, but we reject them for their ideas. And without even recognizing it, we just remove the possibility that there's a chance, however small it may be, that because I'm not God, I might actually be wrong. Today, we're going to tackle a, a, a debated issue around the, uh, the conversation of the Holy Spirit. And here's the debated issue. When and how does one get the Holy Spirit? When and how does one get the Holy Spirit? Again, there are lots of arguments about this. There are people who are really passionate about what they believe. But the reality is what I believe or what you believe or what your former pastor believed or your professor in college believed doesn't, doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what does Scripture teach us? That's the only thing that matters. So today, I'm going to do what I always try to do I'm going to try to show you in Scripture what I see. Now, I don't expect you to take my word for it, nor do I want you to take my word for it. I want you to see what I see, and then you can decide for yourself if what I see is actually what Scripture says. 
So let's dig in. When and how does one get the Spirit? I want to start with the most simplest answer to that question. It's a really simple answer. Jesus answers this question as clearly and as simply as anybody. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus uh, is praying and his disciples are evidently watching him pray. And when Jesus is done praying, they come up to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, what's interesting about that to me is it's like these guys knew how to pray. Like they're good Jewish boys. They know how to pray. They prayed in their families. They prayed uh, at dinner. They prayed in the morning time. They prayed at the synagogue. They've been around people who prayed their whole life. They've been to the temple. Like these guys knew how to pray, but there was something different about what Jesus was doing than what they had been shown. And so they're like, Jesus, we want to learn how to pray like you pray. Like teach us to do that. And it was in this conversation around Jesus teaching them to pray that he drops this amazing truth. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So to answer the question, how do we get the Holy Spirit? Jesus' simple answer is, ask your father. He gives good gifts. Just ask him. Ask the father for the gift of the spirit. And because he is a good father, better than any of your human fathers, he'll give you the best gift that he has, which is the Holy Spirit. So you want to receive the Holy Spirit? Ask your father. Now, I would like to just end this sermon right here because this would save me a lot of angry emails and more bad Google reviews. (laughs) But I feel like we do have to dig a little deeper, okay? Because the scripture does have more to teach us about when the Holy Spirit comes. There's a lot we can learn simply by looking at the times and the circumstances when we see the Holy Spirit come into people's lives. Now, I want to start with the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, Pastor Josh shared with us from this text last week, so we don't need to spend a ton of time here, but it's an important place for us to start because the day of Pentecost was the day that the prophecy of Joel was fulfilled, that the new covenant had arrived, and the Holy Spirit was now available to everyone. Okay, so that happened on the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, would dwell inside of his people. That truth came to reality at Pentecost. So the pouring began at Pentecost with the Spirit of God coming upon those who were already believers in the upper room, the disciples, and maybe 120 others, and came down. There was a rushing sound of the wind and a flame-like fires on their heads, and these followers began to declare the wonders of God and the gospel of Jesus in, in languages that they had never spoken before. That's not where the story ends. Peter then stands up and he addresses the large crowd of Jewish people who had come for the Passover. And they heard the 
gospel preached in their own language. They were not followers of Jesus and they had not yet experienced the coming of the Holy Spirit. There was no supernatural wind or fire. So the so Peter gets up, shares the gospel, and at the end of his message, he has this to say. He says, when the people heard this, so Peter shared the gospel, and when they heard, oh my goodness, God sent his son and we killed him. <clears throat> when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You know what that means? They believed him. They believed him when he said, you killed God's son. They were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? There's no more important question you could ever ask than that one. What shall we do? And what they're asking is, what shall we do to be made right with this God whom we've sinned against in such an egregious way? What do we do to fix this? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So to answer the question, how do we get the Holy Spirit? Peter tells the people, your sin put him on the cross. They believed him. How do we get right with God? Peter gives very specific instructions. Repent and be baptized. That's what you do. You want to get right with God? Repent and be baptized. And when you do those two things, there are benefits to come with you doing those two things. And those two benefits are every one of you in the name of Jesus, and here's what you're going to get, the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You do these two, you get these two. That's what Peter says. And then he adds this line. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And as Pastor Josh mentioned last week, this is talking about us. We are the ones who are far off. We are the ones for whom the Lord is still calling. So the promise that was made to all of the people at Pentecost still applies to us. Here's what you do. And if you do these two, you get these two. And that promise, this promise, the promise is for everybody whom the Lord calls. And then we read, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Those who accepted the message, who did what he said, they were baptized. And 3,000 of them were added to the number of those who were spirit-filled believers that had been saved. Now, notice that among this baptism of the 3,000, there's no mention of a supernatural wind. There's no mention of any flaming tongues. There's no mention of speaking in languages that they had not studied before. That didn't happen for any of these people because that was not part of the promise. The promise was you repent 
and be baptized and you get your sins forgiven and will receive the Holy Spirit. That was the promise. So if you were to ask me today, how do I get the Holy Spirit? When do I get the Holy Spirit? I would take you to this moment and I would point out that this seems to be the normative way in which the Holy Spirit is given to his people. Now, before your head spin and you are arguing with me in your mind, it's really important for you to hear me say that I believe this is the normative way. That doesn't mean that it's the only way that is possible because the Spirit can work however he chooses. But it is the only way that the Spirit is promised. You need to make sure you hear that. It is the only way that the Spirit is promised. This promise is for you and for all who are far off. It's the only promise of the Holy Spirit specifically to those who are far off. So let's look at a few other ways in the book of Acts that we see the Holy Spirit given to people. In Acts chapter 10, there's this moment when the Spirit came upon Gentiles for the very first time. And not surprisingly, it looks similarly to what happened at Pentecost. It happens at the house of a man named Cornelius. So Cornelius is a god fear. He's praying and an angel comes to him and says, hey, go send for a guy named Peter. He's got a message for you. And so Cornelius obeys, sends for Peter. Peter comes back and Peter begins to speak to Cornelius and everybody in his household. And Peter begins sharing the gospel. And here's what happens. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So in this instance, the Holy Spirit came in a different way than it did on the 3,000 at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell on them even while they were hearing the gospel before they were baptized. But I believe that there's a reason for this. There's a reason that this is an exception. And the exception comes in the next verse. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So here's, Here's the issue. Apparently, the reason that the Spirit fell on those people in Cornelius' house before they were baptized is because nobody was going to invite them to be baptized because they were uncircumcised Gentiles. And the circumcision group was standing there and they see the Holy Spirit fall and all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, God's accepting them too? Like this was mind-boggling that these uncircumcised Gentiles would get to be a part of the kingdom of God. And it took God showing his acceptance through the giving of the Holy Spirit. And as soon as all of them see it, Peter stands up and says, they are in. 
Like they get, they had the spirit along with us. So what needs to happen next? Who's going to stand in the way of them being baptized with water? And so he ordered them to be baptized. Apparently the the circumcised Jews were standing in the way of them being baptized. And Peter says, that can't happen anymore. They've been invited in just as we have. And this was God's way of showing it. Let me show you one more. It comes in Acts chapter 19. It says that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered emphatically what? No. Don't miss that. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Like, what are you talking about? So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So Paul shows up in Ephesus, finds some men who were God followers, and he looks at them and says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What are you talking about? We don't even know what the Holy, who, Holy Spirit, what is that? And Paul is just trying to rack his brain and say, wait, 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 you don't, you don't know the Spirit? You haven't received the Spirit? And I want you to make the connection. What is the very next thing he asked them? Then what baptism did you receive? Paul immediately is like, wait, 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 wait. You don't have the Holy Spirit? Then what baptism did you receive? Paul's connecting the dots again between baptism and the Holy Spirit. You didn't have the Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you get? Well, we got John's baptism, they replied. And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off. Apparently, these guys were part of the ministry of John the Baptist when he was in the Jordan baptizing people. And they had been baptized by John in the Jordan for the repentance of their sins. And they walked away and went back home and hadn't heard the rest of the story. They didn't know that John was just the precursor to Jesus. So so Paul has to fill in the gaps. So Paul says John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but he told everybody to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. You know about what John did, but John was just a precursor to what Jesus did. You missed the end of the story. And so he has to connect the dots to Jesus. And so once he fills the gap and connects the dots to Jesus, it says on hearing this, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, here's where where it gets weird, okay? Once they come to faith in Jesus, once they are baptized into the name of Jesus, it seems it would be normal and right for them to have received the Spirit through their baptism, right? Right? But apparently that didn't happen. So we actually find another step. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. 
So here we are in the early church in the book of Acts, three different settings where the Holy Spirit shows up. Apparently on the day of Pentecost, the 3,000 received the Spirit when they were baptized. At the house of Cornelius, they received the Spirit before they were baptized. And here in Ephesus, these guys received the Spirit seemingly after they were baptized. So what are we supposed to do with that? And the answer is, you learn to live with it. (laughs) You learn to live with it because the Spirit can move however He wants. But I do want to point out something that I think is really, really important. I want you to notice that in all of these scenarios, the coming of the Spirit and the baptism of the believer are intimately connected. There's not a gap between the two. There's not a gap. The order may be different, but the timing is not. Each and every time the Spirit comes, baptism takes place. They're always together. When the baptism in Jesus' name happens, you will always find almost immediately the the Spirit comes. Here is what you won't find in any conversion story in the New Testament. I'm not a scholar. Maybe you can find it. I never have. Feel free to correct me because I'm not God and I could be wrong. (laughs) But here's what I've never found. I've never found a situation. I've never found a conversion story in all of Scripture where the Spirit comes and someone not be baptized immediately before, during, or after the Spirit's coming. I've never found this moment where someone is Spirit-filled and then there are years and decades or even a lifetime where someone is not baptized. You don't find it. What you always find is this connection between the Spirit coming and baptism. One may come before the other, but they always come together. That's biblical. Now, does it mean that it's not, does it mean it's not possible that someone could have the Holy Spirit and never get baptized? Doesn't mean it's not possible. The Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants. But what I can say is nowhere in Scripture is that promised and nowhere in Scripture is that practiced. Nowhere. What we find as normative in Scripture is that a person believes, repents, confesses, and is baptized. And in the midst of those actions, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So the question becomes, is that it? Is that it? When I receive the Spirit at the time of my conversion, is that it? Is that moment the full extent of the coming of the Spirit in someone's life? Which my answer would be no. I do not believe that it is. I think the language of some of our more charismatic brothers and sisters is helpful. They describe 
both the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what happened at your moment of conversion, of when the Spirit sealed us for the day of redemption. The indwelling is permanent. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. That's what happens when we begin our relationship with Jesus. But there does seem to be some times and seasons and circumstances that the Holy Spirit comes upon people, comes upon people who are already indwelled with the Holy Spirit and fills them in unusually powerful ways. Some people talk about this as the anointing of the Spirit or the empowering of the Spirit. Let me just share a few of those with you from the scriptures. Acts chapter four, Peter and John, they've been arrested. They've been dragged before the Sanhedrin to be put on trial in front of the most powerful people in the land. And Jesus had made a promise to them. Long before this happened, before he left, Jesus made a promise that there would be a day when they would get arrested and they'd stand trial in front of very smart and powerful men. And Jesus gave them this promise. When you are brought before the synagogues, the rulers, the authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you, this is the important part, at that time what you should say. In other words, they've already been filled with the Spirit, but he, the Spirit does not tell them ahead of time what they're going to say when they're standing before these powerful people. Jesus said, just know that because the Holy Spirit is in you, he's going to, at that time, when you're standing there in that moment, he's going to come on you in a special, powerful way to tell you what you need to say. What does Scripture call that? Peter, standing before them, it says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, rulers and elders of the people. So in the moment when he speaks, there is a filling of the Holy Spirit that causes him to be able to speak in such a powerful way. He didn't get that ahead of time. It came in that moment that allowed him to speak to these people. Here's another one, Acts 4.31. The disciples are in a room and they're all praying. And look what it says. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So we're having a prayer meeting and they're all praying and then they're done praying. They say their amens. They hang up, talk to you later, God. That's what we do when we stop praying. Hang up the phone. They've hung up the phone. After they prayed, they're not praying anymore. They hang up the phone and after they're praying, the place is shaken. Not while they're praying, after they're praying, it's shaken. The spirit fills them and they begin to speak the word of God boldly. So again, Well, weren't they filled with the Spirit while they were praying? Yes, they were indwelled with the Spirit, but something else happened. There was some special happening after they prayed where they were filled and that filling made them go speak the word of God boldly. 
Let me give you one last one. This is Acts 13. The apostle Paul comes up against a false prophet named Elamas, who was trying to keep people from coming to faith in Jesus. And I want you to listen to what happens. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, here we, here we go again. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looks straight at Ilamas and says, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You will never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even not even able to see the light of the sun, immediately mists and darkness came over him and he was groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. What we see in this instance is Paul, along with the rest of these examples, is this was the spirit working in an extraordinary way. These were all of these stories are people who had already had faith. Paul was already indwelled with the Spirit. But in this moment, the Spirit fills him. He looks at this guy and makes him blind because he is keeping people from coming to faith. These people who had already all come to faith and had received the Spirit, all of them experienced the filling of the Spirit that works in their life in a special way. And I want you to hear me today. We should all be seeking this type of spirit filling. In fact, we're commanded to. Ephesians chapter five, Paul writes, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. This is not Paul making an invitation for people to come and be converted and be indwelled with the Spirit. This is Ephesians 5. He's already said back in Ephesians chapter 1, he's already called these people his chosen people. He's already said, the Spirit lives in you and has sealed you for the day of redemption. They've already been filled, I'm sorry, they've already been indwelled with the Spirit, but yet at the end, he says, now go be filled with the Spirit. We should be seeking this this power of the Lord in our life. We are to pursue and to continue to pursue being filled with the Spirit again and again and again. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like on our podcast this week. But here's something that I want to make sure that you also see. In all of these examples and through Scripture, when someone is filled with the Spirit, They are filled for the sake of ministry, not for the sake of emotion. This is really important. When they are filled with the Spirit, they are filled for the sake of ministry, not for the sake of emotion. We see it in all of these texts. Peter's standing there before the Sanhedrin. He's filled with the Spirit for the sake of sharing the gospel with all of those who are standing in front of him. It wasn't an emotional outburst in that moment. When those people were praying and the Holy Spirit comes and fills them, they did not have an emotional outbreak. They spoke the word of God boldly. 
When Paul is standing there with Elymas and he's filled with the Spirit, he does not go crazy and have some emotional experience. He turns to this man and puts him in his place and blinds him by the power of the Spirit to keep him from having the power to keep people from coming to faith. When one is filled with the Spirit, it is for the sake of ministry, not for the sake of an emotional experience. Which means for us, if we want to be filled with the Spirit, the very best thing that we could do to put ourselves in a position to be filled with the Spirit is put yourself in a position where you need the Spirit for the sake of ministry. Share your faith. Start a group, witness to a stranger, foster a kid, pray over the sick, put yourself in a situation where the Holy Spirit is needed to show up and do something powerful in the name of Jesus. Put yourself in a position where the Spirit is needed. At the end of the day, we need to remember that when it comes to being filled with the Spirit, we do not get to lead the Spirit. We don't tell the Spirit what to do. We are to be led by the Spirit. We do what the Spirit tells us to do. He fills us for His purpose, not for our purposes. So here's the application for us today. If you have ever take, if you have not ever taken the step to be indwelled with the Spirit, In the biblical way that scripture teaches us, promises the Holy Spirit will be given to us. If you've never been baptized, then today's the day. You want to experience the the indwelling of the Spirit, then do what scripture promises brings the indwelling of the Spirit. Repent and be baptized and your sins will be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's believe what Scripture tells us as it relates to the indwelling of the Spirit. Now, if you've already taken that step and you're at a place where you want to be filled with the Spirit, then my invitation is the same one that Jesus gave. Ask your Father. He's a good Father, and when you ask Him, He's not going to give you a scorpion or a snake. He wants to give you the best that He has. He wants to give you his spirit. But I would make this one caution. James, the brother of Jesus, says the reason you don't get what you want when you pray is because when you pray, you're praying with false motives for your own selfishness. That's why you don't get what you're praying for. And I wonder how many of us have missed out on the filling of the Holy Spirit because we're not praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit for the sake of others, but we're doing it in a selfish way for us. You want the Spirit? Put yourself in a position where the Spirit's needed and then ask your Father and He will give you the best that He has. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful for your Spirit that you have promised us to indwell us forever and will continue to equip and empower and Fill us with the Spirit in these seasons where we need you most. So God, do that work among us today. Holy Spirit, fill us today for the sake of great, glorious, Jesus-edifying ministry.
And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.